Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. My name is John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We are glad that you are here to worship God with us today. Um, Chad and the, the worship team, thanks for helping us to worship God through song. Uh, we're continuing in our series today, um, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Are you who you want to be? And uh, as I was studying and preparing for the, the message today, I ran across a story that, quite frankly, when I first read it, I went, I don't know that that's true. I've never heard that before. And so I, I researched it a little bit. I didn't spend hours. Um, and it seems to be true. So if you know it to be false, then tell me afterwards, and I'll make sure I correct this for future messages and things like that. But... So as I'm reading the story, the author of this book is talking about a guy named Wes Stafford who was the um, president of Compassion International for a period of time. And so Wes had taken pastors uh, on a mission trip somewhere around the world, and they were, they were talking about just life integrity, they were talking about ministry, and he asked this question. He said, what is it that really caused the sinking of the Titanic? Well, the pastors like me went, well, wasn't it the iceberg? Wasn't it, we've heard maybe they were going too fast for, for nighttime, they didn't... They didn't let people off the ship quick enough. I mean, I, there was all kinds of reasons. And he said, you know what? One of the big reasons that it sunk was faulty rivets. And I went, what? And as I'm reading it, I'm going, what? And he said, in 2008, they, they were doing a study of, of what was going on in England and what was going on in the world. And there was a huge shortage of good steel uh, as the Titanic was being built. And uh, the, the builder of the Titanic said, you know what, we can save a little money by not spending the extra on the good steel because it's in short supply. And so we're going to use a little bit lesser grade steel and certainly it'll be okay because we'll put three million of those rivets all along the Titanic. And so people believe now, after the study in 2008, that, that had they actually used like up to par steel, that not that the, the ship wouldn't have sunk, maybe it wouldn't have, but certainly it wouldn't have gone down so fast. Because the problem was, is those three million tiny little rivets weren't up to par. They, they didn't have integrity. They, they fell apart when, when it got stressful. And it caused that ship to go down very quickly. Listen, followers of Christ... What I want to tell you this morning is this. Is that, that our walk with Christ, our um, success in life is based on the small little details of our life. If we can learn to walk with Christ and follow him in the small little details, then we will be able to, when, when those icebergs come along, it'll be easier to withstand those icebergs. But if we, in the small little details of our life, if we, if we start to compromise in those and we say, you know what, not that big of a deal, I'm going to put three million rivets of stuff on there, but I'm not going to use the good stuff, I'm not going to not going to be in, have integrity in those small little areas, then I promise you when the big things of life happen and you have the big opportunity to mess up, you will, more than likely, not honor God in your choices. Listen, this is hard to do to, be, to honor God in, in the small things. Our culture is warring against us and, and against what God desires. Look through all out, uh, uh, this isn't a new thing, throughout all of history, Cultures have entertained themselves and done things that are vulgar. And yet people call those things good. But because culture is pressing that into us, and, 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 and today when we've got it just on TV at the click of a switch, it is hard for us to honor God 
all of the time, even in the small details. So this morning, we're going to give you a plan and a strategy to help with that. But let me recap with you where we are so far in this series that we've called, Are You Who You Want to Be? Again, studying the fruit of the Spirit and the different facets of that fruit. In week one, Keith talked to us a little bit about love and how it's incredibly important. And without love, you can do all of the right things. But without love, it really doesn't, doesn't matter. Love is kind of the, the baseline thing. In week two, we talked about joy. And we talked about that our joy is not based on our external circumstances. But instead, our joy is based on the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that he rose again so that our sins could be forgiven and that we could have a home in heaven one day. And we could have life to the fullest here on earth. And that's really what brings us joy. In week three, Keith talked about peace and how through the Holy Spirit work in our lives, we can overcome worry. In week four, we talked about patience and how the Holy Spirit can help us to live a life of patience, overcoming anger. Last week, Keith talked about kindness. And he he really talked about an extravagant kind of kindness that costs us. Today, we continue in that journey by looking at the fruit of the Spirit called goodness. And before we dig into goodness, I want to be clear about a few things, about two things. First and foremost, it's this. I want you to know that as we talk about goodness and as the Bible lists this as a fruit of the Spirit, please don't get the idea that the Bible or I am talking about being good to earn your salvation. We've studied throughout Galatians over the past year, year and a half or so, that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone, right? You remember that? Yeah. Okay, so... This isn't talking about salvation. It's talking about the Holy Spirit living in us and working in us and developing this goodness in us after salvation. But the second thing I want you to be aware of and and be clear on is that the stakes are really high. Listen, we live in a time where really our our culture in some ways is, is a bit of a cesspool, isn't it? I mean, look at what we entertain ourselves with. It's rough out there. Stakes are high because how you handle integrity, how you handle goodness, the stakes are high for your family. How you do in goodness will impact your family relationships. And dads, let me just tell you, how you deal with goodness and you deal with integrity will affect your kid's view of God the Father. The stakes are incredibly high. Not just in our families, but our careers are at stake. How you handle goodness and integrity will impact your career. Now sure, you may be able to cut some corners for a little while and not live a life of integrity in business, but eventually it will catch up with you. Your role in the kingdom of God, meaning the work that God has called you to do, is at stake. How you live and how you behave in goodness can very quickly ruin what God has called you to do. Now I don't mean that that your occupation necessarily be ruined. It might. But every one of us, I'm not talking about just pastors here, every one of us has called to become a a follower of Christ that is making disciples. No matter how you earn your living, you are to be making an impact in the kingdom of God. And if you live a life that does not have goodness or does not have integrity, very quickly you will ruin your witness. You will ruin your ability to share Christ with other people and have them look at you as someone that can be trusted. The stakes are high. They're incredibly high. 
Much like in the past few weeks as we as we've have studied the, the facets of the fruit of the Spirit, here's how we're going to do this this morning. We're going to look at, define goodness. We're going to examine goodness. And then we're going to look at a plan of what can we do to align ourselves. I'm going to, again, remember, the Holy Spirit is, is, is the one who really develops the goodness in us. But we can align ourselves so that the Holy Spirit will work in us more readily. Before we dig into those things, let me pray for us, okay? Let's pray. Father God, as we study goodness today, help us to see you more clearly. God, help us to love you more. As we are bombarded in our cultural messages and attacks from the evil one that try to get us to compromise our integrity, help us to stand strong, even in the small details. God, for those of us who are already followers of you, we submit to you and your will. We submit to the Spirit to allow you to grow goodness in our lives. And Father, I pray for those in this room that do not yet know you. Father, open their spiritual eyes today so that they may see you for the first time and that they would respond to your offer of mercy and grace and love. As we pray often here, God, help us to not just be hearers and agreeers to the word, but to be doers as well. And it is in your son's name we pray. Amen. So goodness defined. It's a little hard to define goodness, isn't it? We use the word in all different kinds of ways. And sometimes we actually argue about what is good, don't we? I mean, for me, what's about to come on the screen, this is what I think is good. Chocolate chip cookies, those are good. But there's others of you in here going, you know what, no, those aren't good. These are actually good. Oreos and milk. And, and we could debate about which one of those is more good, right? But then I know there's some of you in here, I don't have a picture of this one, but there's some of you in here that are, that are more health conscious. And you're going, neither one of those are good. They're both bad. They have chocolate, they've got sugar, and you shouldn't be putting all that stuff in your body, right? See? Yeah. We could debate all day long on, on, on the goodness of those things and which one is better. Now, why is that? Because, because most of us, when we talk about good, we look at ourselves as the standard of who gets to define what is good. We look at it as what brings us the most pleasure. What is it that we like the most? There's a huge problem in that. Especially in terms of when we're looking at goodness in terms of integrity. Because what I think is good is not what some of the tyrants of the past thought was good. And if we each get to decide what is good in our own eyes, there's huge problems, yes? Well, the Greek word in Galatians 5.22, when you you peel back the layers and you look at it, the goodness there, it means moral excellence. It means integrity. But even those words are somewhat hard to define. So we have to ask, who who sets the standard and who decides what is good? Because if you and I can't be trusted, there's got to be something else out there that helps us to understand what is good. There's good news. There's good news. There is a standard. The Bible teaches us that we are to look to God. We are to look to God because we can't trust our own hearts. Keith mentioned this a few weeks ago, that our hearts are deceitful. They can't be trusted. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says it very plainly. The heart is deceitful. Meaning you can't trust what you think is good. You've got to have some other standard. 
Uh, Jesus uh, gives us uh, an example in Luke 18, uh, verses 18 and 19. Someone asked him, a certain ruler asked, Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus' teaching us here is that we are to look to God and God only for what is the standard of good. Psalm chapter 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Now listen, I know that this presupposes that you already believe in the Bible. And it presupposes that you already believe in God. And I know in a group this size, there are people there that are out in the crowd today checking things out. You're going, I don't know if I believe all of this. I don't know that this is the standard. Well, you're at a church, and so we teach that the Bible is the standard. And we believe that there's God. But, but let me ask you to do this. If you're here checking things out and you're going, I'm not sure, look at Psalm 38, verse 8, which says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. God, in this verse, He's inviting you to check Him out. He's inviting you to peel back the layers of who He is, and you can see for yourself if God is good or not. This is a great church to check out that claim. So if you don't yet believe all of this, that's fine. Hang with us. Continue to check it out and we'll help you along the way. So if God is our standard, I want us to look at some of the characteristics to understand God's goodness. Before we get to those characteristics, I want to give you a baseline of the goodness of God. It's this. All that God does is good. All that He does is good. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was good. So as followers of Christ, you and I must hold on to the belief that all God does is good. All he does is good. Sometimes, when we don't have the full picture, sometimes it, going through life hurts, doesn't it? But we can rest on and be assured of the fact that all God does is good. So if God's our standard, let's look at these characteristics. The first characteristic we'll examine is this, is that God is holy. God is holy. This means that He is totally unique and He is totally separate from creation. Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who, like, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Being totally unique and separate means this. It means that God is free from any moral, wickedness, or evil. There is nothing bad in Him. God is holy. There is nothing wrong with God. There's nothing bad in God. There's nothing impure in God. And remember, going back to our baseline, there's nothing that God does that is bad. But there's a second characteristic of God. It's this, is that He is righteous. This characteristic of righteous, when referring to God, basically means that God is holy in his relationship with other beings. God will interact with you and I in a holy way. Uh, Psalm chapter 97, verse 6, the heavens proclaim God's righteousness. Now because of this quality, we can trust God. We can love God knowing that he will be righteous and how you and I relate with him. There's a third characteristic of God's goodness. And it's this, is that He is just. Read all throughout the Psalms, and it is said that God is just. Meaning that He is fair in the administration of His law. He doesn't show favoritism or partiality. 
You can write down these verses. Romans chapter 2, verse 11. God does not show favoritism. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, God doesn't love person A more than person B. God loves the whole world so much that he gave his only son so that we could be reconnected to him. Yes? There's a fourth characteristic of the goodness of God. And it's that God is true. In Jeremiah chapter 10 verse 5, it says that the Lord God is true. And in John 17 verse 3, we see that Jesus addresses the Father as the only true God. These verses, what the Bible teaches us here, is that God is real. He was not made up by some person who needed a crutch. God is absolutely real. Another aspect of God's truth is that he doesn't lie. You can trust everything God says. You can trust the Bible. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, Paul speaks of a God who never lies. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 said it is impossible for God to lie. You can trust him. There's a fifth characteristic of the goodness of God and it's this. God's grace. This means that God deals with people based on what they need not what they deserve. And that's huge. That is huge. It means that God deals with us based on what we need, not what we deserve. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Write it down, look it up later on. It says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Through Jesus, Jesus' death and resurrection, God has made it possible for you and I to be reconnected to him. Even though we were separated from him because of sin, and, and our sin deserved to be punished. God said, no, no, no. You need grace. I'm going to operate with you on grace. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross for you. And that leads to the final characteristic of the goodness of God. And it's this. It's his mercy. His mercy. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says this. He saved us not because... Righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. God's mercy is his tender-hearted, loving compassion for his people. God was so moved by our spiritual condition, he didn't want us to one day be eternally separated from him. He didn't want us to end up that way. He was so moved by that, he did the unthinkable so that we could be brought back into a relationship with him. He wanted us to have life to the fullest here on earth. He wanted us to have a home in heaven one day. So after hearing those characteristics, and if that's the characteristics of goodness, we could probably come up with a whole bunch more about the goodness of God. But if just those six were the only ones, and they're not, but if they were, how do you measure up? How do you measure up to God's standard of goodness? Are you always true? Do you relate to people with grace? Do you relate to people with mercy? So I look at that list and even speak on that list. Listen, I struggle in those. You see, we all have a problem. And that problem is that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there is good news. We don't have to stay that way. We can, by becoming a follower of Christ, have the Spirit of God living in us, be made right with God, and then the Holy Spirit will work and develop these 
fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Now listen, I'm going to get to those of us in this room that are followers of Christ in just a moment, but I have to push pause here. I've got to make sure that everybody in here at least has had the opportunity to follow Christ and have a relationship with Him. So I'm going to ask you to do something. The sermon's not over, okay? So don't go on autopilot here. But I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a second. In a group this size, stats tell us that there are people here, whether you're here for the first time or whether you've grown up in church, stats tell us that in a group this size, there is at least one person that doesn't have a relationship with Christ. And what I'm here to tell you this morning is all this stuff that we've talked about throughout this whole series on the fruit of the Spirit and as we talk about goodness, it's not attainable on our own. It requires a relationship with God. And so I want to lead you in a prayer. Maybe you, need to, maybe you need to, this morning, follow God for the first time. And if that's you, tell God something like this in your own words. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask you to come into my life and be my leader. In other words, God, I give you complete and total control of my life. I will follow you. And I ask you to be my forgiver, God. I recognize and admit to you that I have gone my own way and I have sin in my life and I need forgiveness for that. Now listen, the Bible says if you prayed a prayer similar to that, doesn't matter if you didn't get the words just right, the Bible says that you are a new creation. That the Spirit of God has come to dwell inside of you. And you will have life to the fullest here on earth. And you will have a home in heaven one day. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, I want to ask that you'd let us know about it by checking the box on the back of your communication card. This church exists in part to help you on that journey of knowing God and growing in that relationship. Father, thanks for hearing our prayers this morning. Amen. So so I know that some of you are saying, okay, I've been a follower of Christ for a while, or I just became a follower of Christ just now, but I still struggle with goodness. I still struggle with that, that, those lists, that, those six characteristics. I'm, I still don't have integrity in all of the little areas of my life. Listen, I get it. But I'm not the only one who just gets it. There's a guy named Paul who gets it. If you've got your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, penned by a guy named Paul. Listen to what this guy said. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Anybody ever struggle with that? Yes? Anybody? Listen, I think if we're honest, we all, we all do. Paul, listen, Paul is the guy who God used to write most or a big chunk of the New Testament. He is a guy that, that elsewhere penned the words, follow me as I follow Christ, because if you do, you'll become more like Christ. He wasn't being arrogant. He was saying, my eyes are set on Christ, and I'm going to help you do the same. But here he says, there's, there's this gap. I don't get it. I, I know the right thing to do. I want to do the right thing. But there are times where I don't do the right thing. I call this the frustration gap. And we all have it in some way, shape, or form. 
I struggle in that area. This past Monday, this past Labor Day, my family and I and, and some friends, we had just gotten back from camping. I told you a couple weeks ago we could go camping every Labor Day. Well, we went last, last week on an island. We had our tent set up and it was great. It rained on us the morning we were supposed to leave. So everything got wet. We had to go home and we had to reset everything up out in our front yard so that it would all dry up, so that it wouldn't get moldy as we packed it away. So you can imagine there's a little frustration that goes along with that, yes? It's not fun setting up camp just for it to dry out. So we do all of that, and then I go inside to pay bills. You can imagine there's a level of frustration with that. It's not fun paying bills. You hate doing it, as a matter of fact, right? And so I'm sitting there paying bills, and I can kind of see out of our front window, and I see two people walking up to my house, two adults. You know who it is when two adults walk up to your house, yes? One or two groups of people, usually. And I'm going, okay, if I'm just quiet, I'm not going to go answer the door. And so they ring the doorbell, and my boys go, all right, come in. And they start running after the door because they think it's one of their friends. And I'm going, oh, no, I don't want them to answer the door. Now I've got to get up and go answer it. So I get up, and I go answer the door. And I I crack it about this much and stick my head out. Now, part of that was because I didn't want my dog to run out. I had forgotten my dog wasn't there, but that was part of it. I, I, I didn't want her to run out. The other part was is I wanted to be able to shut the door really quickly because I just didn't want to talk to these folks. And so they were very kind, these two ladies, and they're, they're engaging me in conversation a little bit, and I'm trying my best to shut the door of conversation. And um, I finally work in, hey, listen, I'm a follower of Christ. You're kind of barking up the wrong tree on this whole thing. And they went, oh, that's great. Where do you go to church? And I went, oh, I go to Dogwood Church. I'm actually on staff there. And I hear the Spirit of God seriously impress upon me Listen, you need to engage these people. This is an opportunity for you maybe to share the truth of who I am to these people. And I went, not today. I'm not in a good mood. And i got to get back to paying bills, which puts me in a worse mood. Seriously, that's what I, this conversation is going on in my head with God. And so then they go, oh, well, that's great. Well, is there anything that we can pray for you or your family? And I went, no, we're good. No, that's a lie. There's all kinds of stuff going on in my life that people could pray for. They're not praying to the right God, but there's all kinds of stuff that people could be praying for, right? And when I said that, they go, well, okay, so maybe you have a neighbor. Could we pray for one of your neighbors? And I went, you know what? There's all kinds of people in the world. You can pray for them. How about that? <laughs> the whole time, God's going, man, you're missing it. You're missing your opportunity here. I brought people to your front door that you can share the truth of who I am. And you're missing it. And I shut the door. And I went back to paying bills. And it was a few short moments later that God, as he does to me often, supernaturally stuck his head and hand down and thumped me in the head and been like, dude, what are you doing? You're preaching on goodness. You lied to the people who came to your door that I brought to you that you could share the truth of Christ with. What are you doing? We struggle with this, don't we? Yes, we struggle with this. If you don't struggle with it, you're lying right now. Okay, we struggle with it. We say things like, you know what, we don't want to be materialistic, but we spend a ton of money on clothes and toys and big houses so we can impress people and make our lives more comfortable while the world and people around us are starving. We say things like, we want to spend time with our kids and we want to disciple our kids, helping them to become mighty men and women of God. Yet we allow career, our career, our hobbies and sports to get in the way so we don't spend time with our kids. Or we say things even as simple like, I know that we should spend time with God on a daily basis. So that I can grow in my walk with him. Yet we allow stuff to get in the way. Listen, those are all areas where we mess up in integrity and in goodness. So how do we close this gap? 
How do we align ourselves with God's heart so that he more readily avail, uh, uh, develops in us the fruit of the Spirit? Again, remember, it's him that does the work in us, but we can align ourselves. I want to give you a plan. Step one of our plan is this. Focus on the small parts of your life. Build integrity into the small parts of your life. You remember the rivets? The three million rivets that ultimately helped the Titanic sink and caused lots of people to lose their lives? Those things would have been done a little bit differently. The Titanic wouldn't have sunk as quickly. Maybe not have sunk at all. Focus on those small parts. Develop integrity and goodness in those areas. Listen, I don't think anybody wakes up one day and says to themselves, I'm going to train wreck my marriage and have an affair. I mean, really? You think people just wake up one day? I mean, things are great. Marriage relationships, perfect 10 on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, you wake up and go, you know what? I'm going to go sleep around with somebody. People don't, people don't get there overnight. Here's what I think happens. I think, I think we're, we're here. We're, let's just say we start here. And God is calling us to live a particular life of integrity, right? But, but over time, we start to compromise in the small little things. Like, someone calls your house. And you're in the background telling your wife and kids, I'm not home. And you go run outside real quick so you say, I'm not really lying. And so you, <laughs> you've done it. So you begin to compromise there a little bit. Listen, all you had to do was get them to say you're not available, right? But you compromise just a little bit. You compromise a little bit more. And listen, over a period of time, with these little compromises, if they're not dealt with, the difference between here and here is absolutely huge, isn't it? It's huge. We mess up. This is, if we're faithful in the little small things of our life, when the big things happen, you'll be faithful. If you're not faithful in the small things, when the big things happen, you'll be on this line and not on this line. Listen, I'm telling you, church, we as followers of Christ, we need to, I don't know another way to say it other than we need to repent and turn away from all of the small stuff that we allow in our lives where we're not being good, not having goodness and not having integrity. If you succeed in those small areas and build integrity in those small areas, you will have integrity in the larger areas of your life. That leads to a second step. It's this. Be gut level honest with any area that you struggle in. Let me give you a hint. We all have an area, at least one, probably multiple ones, where we struggle. Here's a few examples of areas that you might struggle in. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it talks about a guy who loved money. He loved money. That was where he struggled. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it talks about Martha who was just too busy. Maybe your struggle is being too busy. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 29 through 37, King Nebuchadnezzar was proud. His struggle was pride. Maybe that's your struggle. In Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17, it talks about envying what others have. Maybe that's your struggle. Bible, the Bible talks to us about David looking at another man's wife with lust. Maybe that's your struggle. Now why is this second step important? Why should we identify that? Because if you can identify the struggle, you can take steps to avoid it. It's, it's like this. If, if you enjoyed being out in the woods, and I know some of you don't, but if you enjoyed being out in the woods and going hiking and blazing your own trail, you know what you better know what something looks like? You better know what poison ivy looks like. If you don't, you're going to get in it all the time. And it'll blister you, and it will make you itch, and it's awful. 
But if you know what it looks like, you can avoid it. Just the same. If you struggle with lust, as an example, and you travel for business, and you realize and you recognize that it's when you're in the hotel room, that you go to websites that aren't good, or you look at the channels on that TV that aren't good, then you need to take drastic steps and avoid those situations. Put, some, put a filter on your computer so you can't get to those sites. Tell the front desk, hey, look, I need my TV removed, or you need to turn off those channels. I don't want any access to that. Do what you can to avoid. Do whatever it takes to avoid those temptations and struggles, which leads us to the third step. Think about the damage that can be done if your struggle grows and gets out of hand. Here's a good way to do this. Write a newspaper article about yourself being caught in whatever sin or struggle that you deal with. And write about the people's lives that are affected by that. I know that sounds crazy. I mean, burn it afterwards. But, but write about it. It will help you to see the damage that you can cause by not living a life of integrity. It will help you to understand that the stakes are high. There's a fourth step, and this is a huge, huge, huge important step. Research biblical truth relating to your temptation, relating to your lack of integrity in a particular area. Why is this important? Because Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, Hebrews chapter 4 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Listen, as we study scripture about wherever it is that we struggle in our goodness or in our integrity, the word of God will help us to know where those areas are. And God will use that in our lives to transform us. Our temptation needs to be rooted out by Scripture. Look over in Psalms chapter 119. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. It says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with my whole heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Listen, if you're struggling in a particular area of goodness and integrity then learn scripture about that and memorize it so that when you start to struggle, guess what? The Holy Spirit can bring that to mind so that you can overcome whatever that struggle is, whatever that temptation is. When we align ourselves with scripture, the Holy Spirit will develop goodness in us. The key is, is you've got to be in the Word. You've got to study the Word. You've got to learn what the Word of God says. It's one of the reasons that we're doing the whole 40 Days in the Word campaign. Right? So that you can learn how to study this on your own. You can, you can figure it out. And you can overcome some of what brings you hurt and pain and sorrow. And develop goodness and integrity. There's a fifth step in our plan Share your temptation with a safe Christian friend. Share it with somebody who's not going to go put it on Facebook. Share it with someone that you can trust. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Confess your sins to each other. And listen, true, it is God that forgives us. He is the one that forgives us. But there is a healing that comes when we confess our sins to one another. 
The Bible says it. I've experienced it. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in my small group's life. I've seen it with friends' lives. As we share the struggles and we pray for one another and we hold one another accountable, there is a healing that God does in our lives when we involve other believers in it. There's a sixth, sixth step in our plan. And I'm going to put an asterisk by this one and say this one's kind of optional. It's this. If you still struggle and you can't get past it, then find a Christian counselor that can help you. Some of what you struggle with may be so rooted in something in the past that you need help dealing with it. There's people that can help you. We can help you find them. You may not have to get there, though. My my guess is, is most of us will get to step five and we got it. God will begin working in us. The Holy Spirit will begin working in us. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to move into a time of commitment, a time of prayer. We've already talked about the most important thing, which is making sure that you have a relationship with Christ. It's not too late for you. If you didn't pray back then, but you know you need to now, then pray now. But I'm going to ask our pastors and our elders and some of our small group leaders, if you will go ahead and come to the front, we're going to have a time of prayer where where maybe you need to come to the front and you need to confess a sin to someone. These people, I promise you, will keep your confession in confidence. Maybe you just need prayer about something else that's going on. There is something incredible about coming and having people pray for you. So we're going to move into a time of prayer. Music's going to be playing a little bit. Maybe you need to confess something. Maybe you just have a need. Maybe you just need. You don't. Maybe you just don't even know. You just need someone to pray for you. You can come forward and say, "You know what? I just need help," and we'll know how to pray for you. And then in a few moments, I'll close out our time of prayer. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.